You are listening to the National Arts Centre's Dance Podcast. In this third of four podcasts with Karen Kane, the NAC's Kathy Levy and Gerald Morris talked to former prima ballerina Kane about the launch of her international career in Moscow in 1973 and her glorious years with partner Frank Augustine. Karen Kane shares her memories of Rudolf Nureyev's decade with the National Ballet of Canada and the company's association with Mikhail Baryshnikov, and her own pivotal role in his 1974 defection to the West. She also discusses the restaging and refurbishment of the company's lavish production of The Sleeping Beauty. We heard people being laughed off the stage. Like, there was no kind of um, uh, filter of people before they got there. It was just anybody who wanted to compete. And then by the second round, they'd gotten rid of many, many people. On that jury was Jerome Robbins, Mm. I I think Magdalena Popa, who works with me, uh, the Romanian ballerina, was on that jury. Um, uh, Some famous British critic uh, whose name escapes me, Celia... um, famous Russian ballerinas, huge, huge jury. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't realize that whatever you, um, the first round, you're, the, the marks don't carry forward. And we did our best thing in the first round. <laughs> I, I don't think Celia actually knew that either. Um, so we did Bluebird, which of course we'd been doing on tour all year. And, you know, it was our best thing. And, and they went, absolutely. I'd never heard that kind of response anywhere. Um, even in New York, you know, we they just they started rhythmic clapping in the Bolshoi, and they just kept sending us out. And at first, we were like, "What does it mean?" What? It, and they said, "No, no, it's good. It's good. They <laughs> like you. Okay, you know." And I fell uh, running out for one of my uh, curtsies after my solo. I I fell um, and landed like in the splits in the center of the stage because it's slippery. Uh, they didn't have linoleum in those days. Oh it gosh. was wood. And anyway. Um, they loved us, and then from then on, the audience was really rooting for us. And we did a piece by Roland Petit in, in that, and that's when Roland Petit heard the, heard the music and came down and watched our rehearsal, and he invited me to come and work with his company. That's where that started in 73. And Celia said, no, she can't go. So I went on my summer holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that and started... And the outcome of that competition? Um, well, um... We got a prize for the best pas de deux for the That's for the right. bluebird, and Frank came in seventh in the men, which the men were phenomenal. It, it, Gudenov was in the competition. Uh, Peter Schofus was in. There were a lot of really amazing dancers, and I got the silver medal. Yeah, there were several silver medals, but I I got one. So it it actually launched our careers in Canada because I was already a principal dancer, but I think Frank was too, but. You know, nobody really paid attention until we did something in Moscow. It's the way it is. <laughs> it's the Canadian way. Yeah. It's not, it's not only Canadian. I've heard that even, like, dancers at Paris Opera tell me if they have a success in London, they're more appreciated in Paris. I mean, I just think it's human nature. Maybe it's the singling out, right? You yeah. leave Canada, you're one of several, you're starting to get noticed, but you go there and you win this prize, and so people begin to single you out. Yeah, and I think there's something in people's mind about Russia being the home of ballet, of and if they acknowledge you in Russia, well, then you have to be good. Yeah. Right, right. So you and Frank danced together for several years? 
Um, I don't know how many years it was, but I think it was about a decade. Um, Frank suffered several major injuries in that time uh, with his knees, and um, so his career was shorter than it should have been or anybody would have wanted it to be. So, Did you have a favorite role that you, or favorite partnership or a favorite piece that you did with him? I loved doing everything with him, but I guess... Um, I guess beauty was special because of Rudolph and him coaching both of us in it together and separately. And uh, the fact that uh, Rudolph really uh, loved us and was generous to us and uh, mentored us both. Um, But I, well, Romeo and Juliet too, because we started together doing that and um, just about everything we did together. Veronica Tennant reminded us recently that the premiere of Nuriev's Sleeping Beauty actually took place at the National Arts Centre in 1972. That's so you, you were doing right. the Bluebird Predator then, at, at that point? I was, but I wasn't the first cast. Okay. Um, I was the first cast of The Principal Fairy in the prologue. Okay. And uh, Mary Jagel was the first cast. Uh, and Frank and I did it later um, in the week. But, we, you know, we were the young ones, so, we, you know, there was seniority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you remember about Rudolf Nureyev? So many things. Um, I recently read a, a book by Rudy Van Danzig um, about Rudolf, their friendship. Uh, Rudy Van Danzig is a famous choreographer from Holland and was the artistic director of the Dutch National Company for many, many years. And... Um, this book is more about, about Rudolph's history with that company, but when I read it, it brought back all the good and all the bad about Rudolph. It was, it was a wonderful, he really did a wonderful portrait of Rudolph, and most books I've read about Rudolph have um, not presented a balanced, in my opinion, um, portrayal of the man. They always seem to miss out the extent of his generosity and mentorship of young dancers and uh, how much he cared about the art form. And I mean, it was a huge ego and it was a, 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 an obsessive, compulsive desire to, to dance like nothing I've ever seen. But that was also an inspiration, you know, to be working alongside a man who was at least a decade older than I was. And I was so tired. We were doing eight Sleeping Beauties a week, oh and we gosh. were, you know, it was grueling. And um, the eighth performance of the week, I would just, you know, I would just be weeping in a corner thinking, how am I ever going to make another entrance? I'm too exhausted. And he would, there he'd be, you know, dancing in a way that i go, oh, I have nothing to, <laughs> just forget it. Just if he can do it, you can do it. You know, there, there was that kind of inspiration, um, of will, uh, of mind over matter, of fight that he showed us, um, and an obsessive love for an art form that was just something that propelled us. Um, and, and I've never seen it repeated. I've never seen anyone have the kind of superhuman energy and determination that that man had. Maybe he knew his life was going to be short. I don't know. I mean, there's when you read his his story, um, you know, there was something that was propelling him from so. I mean, to go against his father uh, to be a dancer in those times when you know his father was in the Russian army or something. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just like, and 
yeah, he, he was a, a huge inspiration and had wonderful, wonderful qualities that weren't always evident to everyone that met him. <laughs> it was a huge coup that Canada got Rudolf Nureyev. I mean, I remember being quite impressed by that when I was when I was a kid and heard that he was coming to work with the National Ballet. Well, that was Celia. Yeah. And Celia, you know, despite how difficult it was, because Rudolf and Celia, they respected each other, but they didn't get along at all. And she had to give up a lot of control for that time when he was doing Sleeping Beauty and um, doing it his way. And it wasn't the Sleeping Beauty she knew from England. It wasn't, you know, there were a lot of things she didn't like. It was hugely expensive. We had board members who mortgaged their homes to help us oh do that gosh. production. It And, you know, it seems like what a bargain now because it served the company. It's still serving the company mm -hmm. all these years later. Um, the, so, the, it, you know, but um, they fought. You know, he wanted me to do Aurora from day one, and she didn't. And she, you know, I had been very ill. I'd, I had, had surgery in Paris the year before. I'd been, we'd been on tour in Europe. And, um, and I was just coming back, and I was the youngest principal dancer, and, you know, she was trying to do things in the correct way, and he was fighting her tooth and nail, and finally he got his way, and uh, he he coached me on the first half of the tour that we did after we opened here. We went on a huge tour in the States, and he coached me between shows, you, you know, and mm -hmm. everything to get me on and to show her. And in, <laughs> and, and in Houston, I made my debut, you know. Um, again, I mean, she, she hadn't... She had nothing against me. She had nothing but support for me, but she didn't think that I should be doing, because I was also dancing Swan Lake with him. I was also dancing Giselle with him, and there were going to be other ballerinas that were going to do Aurora, but he was having none of it. So um, there was a lot of... Um, I mean, she tried very hard not to show us, but he was pretty obvious about it. Um, so it was a hard thing for Celia to do, but she knew that it was the thing that would take the company to the next level and uh, establish us internationally, which it did. Got us to New York every summer for a decade for five weeks. Mm -hmm. How I wish I could take this company to New York every summer to be seen, but we can't risk that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, in those days, of course, there were guarantees and uh, and anyway, it was always sold out if Rudolf Nureyev was dancing. That didn't go on forever, but in the beginning, uh, we it was guaranteed that Met Metropolitan Opera House would be sold out. Of course. And you said you did eight shows a week, so there, mm -hmm. you were the, the principal couple? There wasn't a rotation no, like no, we no. have now? No, no, The The women didn't do eight shows a week. Okay, oh. the company did. The, okay. Rudolph danced seven shows a week. Oh, my gosh. And one of our principals would do, so Frank would dance or Sergei Stefanski would get one show a week. Um, and meanwhile, they would do bluebirds and all sorts of other things. They weren't just sitting around, but... Um, you know, we were selling tickets because of Rudolph. The National Ballet of Canada wasn't at the Met because it was the National Ballet of Canada. Right. <laughs> you know? You know, I, 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 uh, I'll give you a break from talking for 20 seconds to tell you my Rudolf Nureyev story. And I know this is not about me, but just to go back to, <laughs> go back to the sensation that you felt. Because my mother, who's still a ballet to Maine in her 80s, took me to see Rudolf Nureyev and Margot Fontaine when I was six years old do Romeo and Juliet when the Royal Ballet came to Montreal. And I am convinced I can remember that sensation now. Now, I didn't, mm -hmm. never was going to be a ballerina, but look at me, I'm in the dance world, right? Mm -hmm. And I can, I can still see it. I'm convinced I can still feel it and get a rush from it. I saw him dance several times after that, including in Sleeping Beauty with you. And, but there was something about 
the shimmering effect mm-hmm. of, of his dancing and their dancing mm-hmm. that was like nothing I'd ever, of course it was the first ballet, but still, I mean, it's, it's like a barometer for, for so many other male dancers still today. It's quite sensational. Yeah. He had a charisma that you don't, you don't see very often, you know, and even many of the great male dancers that I've seen and loved, uh, nobody has ever had that kind of power on stage of, of their presence and their um, their intensity. And also, he was really handsome. I mean, he was unbelievably handsome and and masculine and vibrant in a way that, you know, it, <laughs> even if he was doing nothing, you kind of <laughs> didn't look at anybody else on stage. Now, you know, I had the misfortune, I guess, to see to see the career he went on too long and it became painful and and his will was still there but his body wouldn't respond anymore and plus he was ill but we didn't know he was ill i mean in those days we didn't really know what he was dealing with and he'd never told anyone and um so unfortunately he left some people with memories of him way 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 past his prime Mm -hmm. which is a terrible shame because i like you can recall when he joined us he was not at his peak, but he wasn't too far off it. And then that decade that he worked with us, there was a sort of slow uh, descent. Um, and uh, it, it was very unfortunate that he left the bad memories for a lot of people who couldn't understand what his reputation was about when they saw him at the end. You know, but wow, it was something spectacular when you saw him in the right thing in those years. Do you think Mikhail Brishnikov is, uh, was sort of at the same level, the same status? Oh, yeah, he was extraordinary, too. Mm-hmm. And But he had the um, wisdom and grace to move himself out of the roles he could no longer do when he could no longer do them and didn't leave us with memories of him doing Giselle or Coursera that we didn't want to see mm-hmm. and move into more contemporary dancers or, or things that were more suitable to him you know, so I really admire that. that what did he, you What do you remember about him in the National Ballet? I mean, obviously the famous <laughs> stories of the defection. And, oh yeah. Uh, well, you know, I've gone through. You know, I didn't. I met him first, after the competition. We the the prize winners were all sent to um, Leningrad at that time, Saint Petersburg. <laughs> sent to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was all tacked on. We didn't we didn't read the fine print in the, but we didn't expect to win anything. One so. way train. <laughs> <laughs> so off we went to Saint Petersburg, and it was during the White Nights, which was extraordinary to get there, and we we danced in a special gala with the prize winners, and and things also. There had been a gala in Moscow after with the prize winners, which is televised all over the country. And so he had watched that. And um, we asked to watch him rehearse. And we were taken to see um, he was dancing with a ballerina like three times his age. And he was doing Don Q. And he was doing things that Frank and I had never witnessed. You know, like, can a human body do those things? How does he do that in the air? Like, he flipped around and finished, you know, <laughs> and spinning like a top. It was just extraordinary. And hauling around this little tank of a ballerina who <laughs> <laughs> was, like, as wide as she was tall. But I think it was Struchkova or something, like one of these, like, really, the, like built like this coffee cup, you know, and just powerful <laughs> and everything. Anyway, it was so exciting. And he... um 
we watched the rehearsal, and then we were in the canteen, and he he was in the canteen, and he came over to speak to us and congratulated us and said he'd seen us in the, and he was using his limited English, and and it was really nice. And then, um, you know, the story that when the whole defection was happening, this the secret meetings were all happening in my apartment in Toronto on Broadview and Danforth, this little studio apartment. <laughs> I remember hearing about this. <laughs> Everybody's yes. speaking Russian, and <laughs> I was getting the gist of what was going on. And there was a, a girlfriend, a Russian, uh, she was American, but she spoke Russian who at that time who was helping this, and Kelsey Kirkland was involved, and, 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 and other Russians who'd come up from New York and everything. And then um, we knew the night it was going to happen, and we were all at the Hummingbird O'Keefe. Um, and then, you know, the Petersons and the Stewarts were all, the, you know, the whole thing was yeah. all very exciting. And then he disappeared, you know. And uh, um, so, yeah, we were, Frank and I were in on all of that. Also, Serge Stefanski, who was a principal dancer with the National Ballet, now teaches at the National Ballet School, he had been in school with Rudolph, so uh, with uh, Misha and and well, actually with Rudolph, but he knew Misha and he spoke Russian, so he was also helping, and that's how it ended up in my apartment because he was my colleague. Now, did you hide him in your apartment? Is that no, 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 just meetings, just meetings, yeah. Tell no. us the truth now, years <laughs> later. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Uh, anyway, then, then of course, he did his first performance with the National Ballet, and he danced with Veronica, and we were at Ontario Place, and there were 15,000 people watching. It was very exciting, and we never danced together Um he came to see me doing Sleeping Beauty in, in New York with Rudolph, and he came backstage, and he said to Rudolph that he would love to dance with me, and I was wonderful, but he would have to cut my legs off at the knees. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little tall for him. Um, but we've remained friends. I mean, you know, he did, in the when he first defected, um, and he... Um, he spent a lot of time with the National Ballet getting back into shape after he came back from disappearing and taking classes, and we were all wowed to see what he could do. And then he would spend a lot of time playing his guitar and drinking an awful lot of vodka. And he kind of worked his way through the Corps de Ballet, Ballet <laughs> Canada, and broke a lot of hearts at that time, um, which was kind of his modus operandi for a few years. Um, now he's settled and has a wonderful wife, Lisa Reinhardt, and three adorable children, and uh, he's a much more mature, developed uh, human being now. Um, and uh, he, he came back. He, I was in New York to see a performance of Mark Morris, and I ran into him in the lobby, and he made the mistake of saying to me, Karen, if there's anything I can do for the National Ballet Canada. <laughs> I said, well, actually. So we had a a special evening to thank our donors and he flew in for the day and John Fraser picked him up and looked after wow. him and and he met all these people who mean a lot to the National Ballet and who we couldn't exist without and uh, it, it wasn't to make money it wasn't to do anything it was just to thank people and it was very special of him and um, yeah, so he, he's actually a, a man that I admire enormously for the way he's handled his career for the kind of human being he is now wasn't so sure in the early days, but I 
really respect him now. Yeah, that's incredible. I remember seeing him uh, on CBC when he was coming to do that event for you, and he was so loving and generous about the company. I just felt so happy for you that, uh, yeah. that he had agreed to do that. And, it must have... and, and you know what? The one thing he said to me was, Karen, just don't make me do any press. And I said, don't worry. Well, no press. It's about our donors. And the paparazzi got word. Of course, there were invitations that went out. They were all over. The, I mean, there of weren't course. helicopters, but almost. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, he got he got off the air, the, air, the airport, and we and I had to ask John Fraser to tell him to prepare himself. But that there was going to be, and you know, he was good enough. He didn't. He did it, even though I had promised him there would be no press, and it was the last thing he wanted to do. He did it for us. So. He's a good guy. He's still That's a good. big star. I mean, he oh, would draw that kind of attention. Huge star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted you to go back to talk about Sleeping Beauty mm -hmm. a little bit. We're mm -hmm. so thrilled that uh, the National Ballet is going to bring Sleeping Beauty next fall, mm -hmm. 2009, to be Four part of performances, our performances, right, Kathy? <laughs> um, by the time this airs, we'll we, we'll see. Oh, she's getting we'll me on see. tape for this. Right? <laughs> We're going to work towards that. For now, three perform. We've announced three performances. All right, all right. But you went back and uh, and worked on the Nuria version and restaged the version uh, recently, and this is what's going to come to us. You got great critical response uh, as a result of that. What does that actually mean to restage, and how did that feel to go back to this production and mm. retool it, if you will? Well, we hadn't done it for a decade. A decade? Yeah. It had no been, Sleeping Beauty at all? Or? No Sleeping wow. Beauty at all for a decade, and it had been sort of rotting away. And, um, you know... That's right, because James was going to maybe do a new one eventually, right? Because he was revisiting, James Kadelka was revisiting some of the classical works, and right, that was right. going to be, yes, okay, right. so now that makes sense. Right. So, you know, the thought of spending um, two to three million dollars, Sleeping Beauty is probably one of the most lavish of all productions. Absolutely. So, are we going to spend three million dollars on a new production, or are we going to just look after the one that served us so well and spend, we, we spent seven hundred thousand dollars on sprucing it up. Um, so, um, yeah, I just, uh, and of course, I am so attached to it for so many reasons. But I had, I had anxiety about how this generation of dancers would take to it. How would they do it well? You know, would they even want to do it well? Um, would the audience like it anymore? Would it work? Um, I believed it would, but you never know, <laughs> you know. What, what would it be about the dancers when you meet, when you say, would they take to it? What does that mean? Well, because it's a different generation and it's extremely academic and it's extremely demanding in an unrelenting, not fun way sometimes. It's, um, it's, it's what we call stripped, it's naked. It's absolutely naked. I mean, either you do a beautiful arabesque and you hold it for the amount of music that there is or you don't. And when you don't, and when you have to repeat it four times, it's very clear. Um, it's probably just the most demanding role ever. Mm -hmm. um, and not just for the principles, but the core. And uh, it, it's hard physically, like the, the, the aerobically, it's hard um, just on your muscles. It's, it's really, it's like running a marathon for most of the people in it. Um, but, it, you know, you can run a marathon in a crystal pipe ballet, and it probably feels a lot more fun than running a marathon in an academic, demanding, classical work. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know how it would go. Um, but 
it was a they they really took to it in a way that they like also to be able to pit themselves against those bars that have been there for centuries that if you call yourself a classical ballet company and you can't do Sleeping Beauty, then you're really not a classical ballet mm-hmm. company. And if you can't do that kind of dancing, then you, you, you're, that's not who you are anymore. And I didn't know if we were that anymore. And of course, the companies I admire in the world are the ones that have the range, that can do Sleeping Beauty and can also do Pina Bausch, you know? Mm-hmm. like. Not that many companies do I was Pina Bausch, say, but you know what I Paris mean. Paris Opera Ballet is probably one of the only yes, ones. Yeah. and that's a company I admire yes, enormously. Yeah. So those are beautifully trained classical dancers who can do all of it. And uh, they are in bare feet in the mud, or they're on point, exquisitely doing this demanding kind of work that you can only do if you've had years of intense training and have a special talent for it. Um, so... They they did it exquisitely, beautifully, and I think they liked the challenge of it. And certainly as an audience member, the word academic never crosses your mind. I mean, you're just completely entranced by it. It's a beautiful production. Uh, the, it, it whizzes by. You never feel like it's, oh, my God, this is so long or anything like that. It just goes flying well, that, by. You just want that, to see one variation after the next. Yeah, and what I really loved was how the young men, um, people like Guillaume Cote, uh, that role, that is the role they really want to do. Yeah. That was the night I saw it, actually, with yeah. Guillaume uh, in the yeah. role. Yeah, because, because it's still so challenging. It, it hasn't lost its, um, oh, yeah, we do that. You know, some things, the, the technique evolves so much that they don't feel so challenging anymore. This one, I mean, Rudolph made this so, so difficult. Um, there's no other production of Sleeping Beauty in the world where the man has as much demands made on him as the woman. Um, and they feel like they've conquered Mount Everest when they do it well um, so and and that they can and that we have that kind of talent that can do it because um, <clears throat> lots of companies can do Sleeping Beauty because they have the female talent but and the man in most productions does one solo in the last act he does five solos in this and they have to be as equally um, not talented, but um, equally good, you know, and that's very hard to find in most companies. And I have all of these men who can shine in it. So, um, oh, and the other thing I think really added, I remembered, and I don't know how I remember this because I was very young, I was 72, but I remembered that originally we were going to have uh, different costumes in the second act from the first act. And then I think because of budgetary restraints, the... um, the fairy attendants in the first act became the naiads in the second act, and they just wore the same costumes. And they were silver, uh, silver in the prologue, silver in the first act, and then silver in the second act. And I remembered that there had been a design, and it must be somewhere in the archives of the National Ballet, that we were going to have different costumes for the second act. And they couldn't find them, they couldn't find them, and I I tried contacting Milan because they had done this production in Milan. Did they have a costume design for the naiads in the second act that, no, they couldn't find it. And then we found it. And they made the, that was part of the $700,000 of refurbishment. They made the new tutus for the second act, which are now gold. And there's something about the way those tutus take the light and show those formations, those beautiful formations that make the second act so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And because the second act was always the problem. 
it always seemed kind of long. And you say it didn't seem long anymore. No. I didn't think it was long. And it, I swear, it's sure it's the dancing. It's also the visual beauty of the formations mm-hmm. and the light on the on those. You know, it, it became more like a painting and and less sort of pedantic. Um, so I think that made a big difference. It, you know, just because it kept your attention by the beauty of the the visuals. You have been listening to the NAC Dance Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcasts.ca. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and easy instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily subscribe to this audio program series in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NAC Dance. So until next time, this is Gerald Morris with the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. Thanks for listening.